Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. And that's what we attempt to tackle today. In fact, in this This We Believe series, we've talked about God and the existence of God and who God is and the, the different attributes of the Godhead and how there's God the Father and God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And then last week we talked about the Holy Scripture, and I did walk through quite a, a dissertation on, uh, not necessarily a comprehensive, but uh, just kind of a, a put your toe in the water so we can begin to experience uh, some apologetics on what, what Scripture is about, where it comes from, how it can be trusted, and the authority that it has on our lives, and then the impact it has if we believe that it has authority in our lives. And learning these things is important, but at the same time, you know, we, we get to this point of asking the questions, okay, what do I believe? But in reality, uh, what we believe and, and our practice don't always necessarily match up. And so what we want to do today is kind of transition, and where it's where we're going to go for the next few weeks, transition from what we believe to how it impacts our everyday life, what we do, what we're about. And oftentimes when we look at the, 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 the owner's manual, so to speak, or we look at scripture, we look at different things that we might have, the, the, the owner's manual uh, of, of whatever it is that your new car or whatever it is that you purchase might be long and might be difficult, it might be hard to understand. And so in essence, one of the best things to do is just have a couple of bullet points that can kind of share specifically what to do and how to use it. And when it comes to scripture, we find Jesus does just that for us. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different rules and a lot of different laws in the Old Testament. There's even things in the New Testament, uh, you know, especially in, in, in uh, the, uh, the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. Here are things to do. Here are things not to do. But Jesus summarizes it in a very specific way. Several years ago, I was, uh, I was the youth servant as a youth pastor at a church in, in South Dakota, in eastern South Dakota. If you've ever been to eastern South Dakota, you know that it's flat. You know that uh, there's, uh, it's, it's kind of, if you ever say flyover country, this is kind of it because it's flat. And basically, there are, when you're driving on the interstate, there are very little exits. There's, uh, um, you know, there's, there's no windbreak. And when it's cold, there's a lot of snow. And so it was, it was actually wintertime at the time, and we were doing a district lock-in at a local church that was about an hour's drive away from us on a, a, just a dead straight uh, road, Interstate 29. And even there, actually, in the state, when there's too much snow, they have little things that come down and block the road, and they basically say, okay, you have to get off. You can't drive any further. And it wasn't necessarily that bad, but there was a lot of snow this day, and we went down and um, to the lock-in, at the, this district lock-in at the local church uh, about an hour away, and we're there, we're having a great time, and we see in the weather forecast that more snow is coming. Now, typically when we would do an event, we would, we would get a bus or we would get uh, uh, either a large bus or a small bus. This one, we ended up doing a caravan with, uh, with some, some 15 passenger vans and some other people that drove as well. And the interesting thing about this specific event was as we went down there, we had four or five nice uh, drivers that were, uh, were awake, they were well-fed, uh, they were in good spirits. And the thing about a lock-in is 
the level of excitement that children have as it grows, it's almost in direct correlation with the, the level of excitement that is lost for the adults that, that go to the event, right? And so what happens is the, the kids are excited, they're bouncing off the walls, they're, they're having this great time, you know, there's the message and the, and the worship and there's the games and there's all these fun things and, and while that's taking place, the, the drain is just kind of, the plug is pulled out and the, and the, and the youth adults are kind of getting worn out. And so morning comes... And let me just say, I'm the only one of the adults that's not from the specific general area. One of my interns actually was from the town that we actually just came from. He was from right outside, it's actually Sioux Falls. He's right outside of Sioux Falls is where he was from. And he, he lived um, in Brookings where we were at the time. And on our way home, as the snow is mounting, on our way home, we're driving fairly slowly. I mean, the, the speed limit uh, is, is 80 miles an hour. We're driving about 35 miles an hour trying to be safe on our way up and at a certain point we recognize that the snow is is coming down we might need to pull off for a while we might need to to take a moment Um, and we pull off on this exit and as we pull off on the exit we recognize almost immediately this was a bad idea because what we found is that the roads on the exit were less plowed, they had, they had more coverage than the actual interstate itself. And looking at the, the vehicles that we had and the um, worn out adults that were driving them, we recognized it would be better for us just to continue to head north and get home than it was to stop anywhere for a while. And so after we do that, we, we kind of make a, a U-turn, and as we pull around, the vehicle in front of me gets stuck. And so I decide to, to jump out, a couple of the other adults jump out, and we start to help this vehicle, it's part of our caravan. And the one in the front, the intern that was from Sioux Falls, that lived in Sioux Falls, that had traveled this road a million times, goes back to the interstate, says, okay, I'm going to just go ahead and move forward, I'll get there, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm going to drop my kids off, and, uh, and I'll come back if you need help. And at this point, we're 15 miles away, which 30 miles an hour, it's, it's going to take a little longer than it typically would. And he gets to the exit, and let me just say, it is, it's flat. There's a crossroads. So you see this right here is the crossroads. It's flat. He drives up to it. This way is north to where we were headed. This way is south, the way that we came. And for some reason, he turns and goes south, right back to Sioux Falls. And the thing about the exits is there aren't very many. So he was already at that point stuck for another 15-mile drive south at 30 miles an hour in the snow. The good thing is, the best thing is, that when that took place, we all kind of looked at each other, we cringed, and we said, he's going the wrong way. (laughs) Nobody followed him, which is a great benefit. As a church that believes that we should be disciple makers, that we should be disciples who make disciples, in reality, we need to know where we are headed. And oftentimes, and I'll even say this, oftentimes it might be the town we grew up in, it might be information that we're used to, that we know, that we, we've heard a million times. Oftentimes those, that information, those passages, that scripture is one that we need to hear the most because those are the ones that we know so well that Satan is always attempting to undermine or attack in our lives. And so as we walk through this passage today, as, we, as I walk through this sermon today, let us realize that if we're going to be disciples that make disciples, we need to know where to go so that when the disciples that make disciples follow us, we're headed towards Jesus and not towards something else. 
So what's the greatest command? What is the, what is the, the purpose that God has for our life? What's the purpose that God has for humanity? God's purpose for humanity in, in uh, um, the Wesleyan Discipline, uh, paragraph 220, reads like this. We believe that the two greatest commands which require us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. They summarize the divine law as it is revealed in the, in the scriptures. They are perfect measures and norm of human duty, both for the ordering and directing of families and nations and all other social bodies and for individual acts by which we are required to acknowledge God as our only supreme ruler and all people as created by him, equal in all natural rights. Therefore, all persons should so order all their individual social and political acts to give to God the entire and absolute obedience and to assure to all the employment, the enjoyment of every natural right, as well as to promote the fulfillment of each in the, pos in the possession and exercise of such rights. Articles of Religion, Wesleyan Discipline 2016. This is a direct reflection or a direct uh, direct passage or direct um, interaction of the passage that we would consider, that we would call, that we've heard called the great commandment. In fact, the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is, is spoken of specifically or recorded specifically three times, once in Matthew's gospel, once in Mark's gospel, once in Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel includes a little bit extra information that is uh, uh, kind of important as far as understanding who our neighbor is. And then and th at the same time, John also discusses this greatest command, but doesn't give an actual account for it, but instead uh, simply shares what the command is to those that are there. It's interesting, too, to note that for Matthew and Mark, it's specifically recorded the greatest command is, is questioned or asked or shared by Jesus during Passion Week, the most important week of Jesus' life, the week in which he shares and expresses what it means to fully live out a life that loves God, that, that, that attempts to please and love God, and at the same time loves man. He lives it out. What we just sang about in that third song, he lives it out through his actions of giving his entire self to God and to others. So as we look at this specific passage, as we kind of walk this frame it in a specific way and understanding that this is a crucial point in Jesus' ministry. Because in this point, he summarizes a great deal for all of us. Starting in chapter 12, verse 28, it reads like this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commands, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is the one, uh, God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, with all your neighbor, love your, and love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And we'll pause there. As we look at this passage, I want to take just a few specific points from this uh, this lineup interaction that Jesus has with this man 
and begin to, to peel back the layers of understanding of what it means to honor God, to love God, and then to honor and love people. Going back to verse 28, it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him of all the commands, which is the most important. This specific encounter is actually linked to the previous dialogue that Jesus was having. He was having a dialogue with those that were literally challenging him, that were challenging his authority, that were challenging his teaching. And as a result, this man not coming up and saying, okay, you have a clever answer, a clever way of getting around the truth. Instead, he recognized that there was a good answer. And that word good there is important because it's not a, a, a beat around the bush answer and it's not an evil answer. Instead, it is good. It is holy. It is pleasing. Now, rabbinic tradition documents that there are 613 laws in the Old Testament in the, in the, in the scriptures that they would have had at that time. 248 positive and 365 negative. And I haven't done a, a, a study on the, the reason why there's 365 negative, but it's interesting to me that there's that many days in a year. Their question is, what is the overarching principle for these 613 laws? What is the cohesive manner in which they all come together? This man, recognizing this, this, that Jesus was teaching and giving a good response, wants to know. He wasn't coming to try to trick him or to slip him up. Instead, he says, I want to know exactly what I am supposed to do. I understand you. I believe you. I recognize you. What should I do as a result? And often that's the cry, that's the response of the new believer, right? When you come to Christ, you think, okay, so what do I do now? I've given my heart to Jesus, I understand this, I believe it, but what is the difference of how I live my life now versus how I did before? You know, many times it's difficult to understand what we're to do because of the vast set of rules or expectations that might be out there. You may remember the movie from the 80s, The uh, Karate Kid. Anybody remember The Karate Kid? He wins with a crane kick. Spoiler alert. That's, that's the end of the movie, right? But before that, there's all this training that takes place. And, and all of the Karate Kid movies are the same in this right. Daniel's son wants to come and, uh, and, and fight off the bullies that are in his life and, and, and teach them a lesson. And Mr. Miyagi, his mentor, comes along and he says, look, I, I understand that you want to do this, but there are things you need to learn first. There's an element that's most important. And he teaches him basically this, wax on, wax off, right? Wax on, wax off. And at a certain point, Daniel follows along. He does it. He says, okay, I'll follow what you tell me to do. And then down the road, he gets to a place where he gets a little aggravated and recognizes that, hey, wait a minute, Mr. Mag is just making me do all his chores. He's just having me do the things that he doesn't want to do, the grunt work. And then eventually, Mr. Miyagi lets him in on it. And this is like the turning point where everything changes. Lets him in on it to recognize that, hey, these little motions I'm having you do, these basic, simple things are actually the training that is necessary that you need to have for your muscle memory so that you might be able to uh, learn the right way to fight or the right way to defend yourself in uh, the, the, the karate match. Let me just say, in a lot of realms, what it looks like is not, hey, what are all the special moves? What are all the special things? What are all the things I need to do? All these check boxes. What are all the rules that are back here? The, the things that I haven't read before, even the ones that are in the epistles. What are the instructions I need to do? In essence, what this man is asking is, look, I know all of those things, but what is the one thing? What's the wax on, wax off thing that I need to know? 
It's easier to follow the rules and the law when it's condensed down to one specific thing. And that one specific thing is rooted not necessarily even in action, but in a a direction, a focus of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. The point is this, the whole of God's purpose for humanity is a simplistic pursuit. It's a simplistic pursuit. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy to do, but what I'm saying is what God calls us to do is fairly simple. It's simple to start with because he calls us to a simple action, a simple motivation, a simple direction, a simple allegiance. It revolves around the reality that what is in our heart will end up in our hand. Whatever our heart is after, whether it be after a, a, a job or a relationship or a piece of property or, or, or money itself, whatever it might be, if it's God, that's what's going to end up in our hand. That's when it's going to end up in our physical in our physical place, in our physical being. And so the implication is this, the king of one's heart dictates all else. This man didn't, didn't know exactly what he was asking at this point, and he started off with basically saying, okay, give me the training wheels answer. Give me the main point. Give me what you would highlight. If you were going to hand me a book and say, here are the main things, what, what's going to be highlighted? That's what I want to know. 1 Timothy 6.10 starts like this, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And there's a reason for that. It's not the love of, uh, it's not money itself, but it's the love of. What, what the author was saying here is, look, it's what you are after. It's what your love is, is what you love or what your engagement is, what you, are, what you are emboldened to. And so here, this man is starting to, to learn that it's not necessarily about following a specific key rule, but it has everything to do with our perspective, with our direction, with our heart. So Jesus answers him, which is a a wonderful thing for him and for us as well. In verse 29, it says, The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Jesus was asked for one commandment, and he did give two, but they can't be separated. There's a reason for the fact that he gave two. The first command came with kind of a preamble that's securely grounded in something that's truly important for them and that that Jewish monotheistic uh, understanding of God. There's this this, uh, help that Jesus gives to say, okay, there's a firm foundation in what I'm telling you. It's not coming from nowhere. It's not not just something that I'm making up. He starts with that... uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is something that the man and anyone else that was listening would have understood. This is something that that brought forth this this rooting in Moses' tradition, this kind of street credit for the, the, the grounded in truth mentality. This was like the proof of purchase of the, hey, look, this is rooted in something deeper. In fact, it was part of the, the, the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6.4, a prayer that encapsulates not only Jewish thought, but also a daily prayer practice. And so what he was doing was getting to the heart of, okay, this is something that you say, that it's at the heart of who you are, but also, in this understanding, it's something that you do. And there's a reality that those things need to be tied together, what we say, what we we do, and then also what we believe, our, our ethic, our character. Since it's recited every morning and every night by a pious Jew, it's something that was indwelled within them. They would know it, they would get it, they would also do it. Maybe a sidebar here just to to mention is this consistent practice also reveals the value of what it was to them and who God was to them. 
Think about that for a moment. What we do, if you think about just a transcript of your own time, if you were to do a time audit of your last week, whatever you do in your free time. Now, I understand that we have uh, things that we're obligated to do, working and resting, and uh, you know, there's other things. So I, I understand those things. But if you were to take a try, time, time audit of all the things in your life that you, were, you had the choice to invest in, what would be the indication, if you were to look at it and add up all the minutes, what would be the indication of who or what is the king of your heart? The command to love God that follows in Deuteronomy 6.5 is defined with a series of four prepositional phrases, each with a different objective describing the whole of a person. So Jesus was also talking to the reality that we're not just minds, we're not just bodies, we're not just hearts, we're not just spirit. Instead, he understood that created in the image of God, we were holistic beings. And so the whole of the person included the heart, it included the soul, it included the mind, it included the strength. God's desire for humanity is an all-in pursuit of him. God's design for us, his desire for us is to live not just compartmentalized, separated, giving him just our mind or some relationships or maybe, uh, you know, some time here or there. Instead, his desire for us is to be all-in in pursuit of him. Anybody ever play the game Trivial Pursuit? I know you haven't because you'd still be playing, right? You'd still be there playing the game. No, it's a fun game. I do enjoy it. Depends upon the style or which one it is. And I, I, I remember in, in, uh, in high school, I used to play at my grandmother's house. We'd get together. We'd divide up teams. We'd play. And I was always the sports specialist, which I don't know why that was, I guess, because I knew all the rules to badminton. But the, the sports specialist, right? And, and so when it would come to uh, trying to find out or trying to land on a piece, because if you get the question right, you get another turn, and trying to land on a, a piece that, that would not necessarily be a pie, but it would just be an extender of turn. It was like, okay, pick the sports one. And we'd land on it, and, and I, would, I would try to get it right. And, and oftentimes, I would, I would do a good job if it, was, if it was pretty generic, the question. But the interesting thing was, it was not necessarily an all-in pursuit for me. It was not, this, this trivial pursuit for me was, was basically, okay, let's just try to get on sports every single time. Well, God's not wanting us just to, okay, here's my, here's my mental time. Here's, here's, here's this relationship, or here's, here's a percentage of, of my income. No, what God's saying is this is an all-in pursuit for him. Every bit of us, everything we have, our time, our talent, our treasure, all of us. And the implication is a desire that guides all other actions. So this is where the turning point is somewhat starting to take place. What, what Jesus is saying is it's not about just sacrificing on this day. It's not about having this meal or not having this type of food. It's not about this uncleanliness or cleanliness. What it's about is going all in for God. And this is what I was talking about earlier to start the message. This might be just simply a reminder, but man, do we need it. We need this reminder continuously that, hey, because Satan is out to get us, hey, the, the, the pursuit of life, what we are to do, our goal in life is to go all in for God. Because, because if we give him our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything else, our desire in life, will be an outpouring for him. The lens by which you see life, everything that you see, will, will be through the, 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 the lens by which God sees it. People, relationships, the things that we would value here on earth, all of these things will be put into the right place as a result. In real life, our stewardship, our relationships, our time, our gifts, 
our abilities. But it's not just about how we engage in life. It's also about living life on purpose with great joy and with great peace. And so the second implication is this, a relationship that provides a life of wholeness. So this is, this is key too, because sometimes what takes place uh, when we share Christ with somebody or somebody hears the gospel, they think, okay, this is my opportunity to be able to experience uh, a, a, a moment of worship towards this God. And, uh, you know, I, I'm supposed to do this. And it becomes almost like it's a, a, a ritual that we do and the, the relationship gets lost. Well, in essence, this implication points towards the reality that the relationship we have with God brings real wholeness in our life. What we experience in a relationship with the creator of the entire universe is far different. It's unique in, 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 in balance and in, and in reality because nothing else in life can compare. You know, the, the, the most wise person who ever lived said there's nothing new under the sun. There's all these things that are out there. There's, there's all the things that we could ever experience, but there's nothing like experiencing God. Verse 31 reads like this. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no command greater than these. Jesus' second command was, was, was intimately linked to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. One cannot love God in isolation from others. You can't just love God and never talk to any other people. And at the same time, you can't love God and hate people. Here Jesus was quoting Leviticus 19:18, but in actuality these two commands they summarize the first and the second part of the 10 commandments, right? Half of the 10 commandments are our engagement with with God the Father, here's how we engage with him, here's how we worship him, here's how we put him first, and the other half is how we engage with people. Here's how we are to interact with others. Don't steal, don't lie, don't commit adultery. The next difficult question then that arises is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Am I just supposed to love the people that live right next door to me? Or maybe your definition is, okay, anybody on my street? Or is my neighbor just the people that I'm related to? Are these for them? I mean, in that passage in Leviticus, would they have understood it just the people within the Jewish community? I would contend no. In Leviticus 19.34, it goes on and expands the idea that the neighbor is also the resident alien. So anyone that might come into your context at that point would become your neighbor. And Jesus would understand this scripture, would understand this principle, and expand it upon that by, by revealing the fact that your neighbor, and we see this in, in Luke, especially in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, he talks about his gospel, and he talks about the greatest commandment, and goes into the, to the, the secondary question, who is my neighbor? And he shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan includes pretty much everybody as our neighbor. Verse 30, 31 closes the statement, by making these two commands one command. Love God and love people. One cannot love God in isolation or without loving others. And that's the point. I mean, if we think about it for just a moment, our, our, our heart towards others, our heart towards uh, the, the people around us will also reflect the heart that we have towards God. They can't be separated. We can't compartmentalize that. Instead, they are, they are bound together. And so one cannot love God in isolation or without loving others. And the implication is this. God designed his creation to grow in unity. And praise God that he did that. 
I don't want to go it alone. I don't know where you are, but I don't want to go it alone. I, I need a body. Of the, I need the body. I need the family of God to be able to, to come together. We need one another to lift each other up. We don't, no, not one of us has all of the gifts. Instead, God grants us the opportunity to be able to use what he's given us to leverage it for the kingdom. Are you living in isolation this morning? Are you attempting to love God yet hating the person next to you or hating somebody in your life, hating that person that, you know what, it's okay to hate them because X, Y, or Z. Let me just say, that person is the beloved of God. Finally, in in chapter 12, verse 32 and 33, it reads, Well said. This is the response of the man who had asked the question. Wasn't trying to slip Jesus up. Instead, he wanted to know. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. So a reflection upon that. Yes, we, I agree with you. I affirm that. Then in verse 33, to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, with, with, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. So ding, ding, this, this man gets it, right? This man understands, he, he finalizes this, this concept. He understands the reality that, look, this is far beyond action. This is far beyond a temporary sacrifice. Instead, this is a relationship, a loving relationship. In a lot of ways, when Jesus came, and we can see some of these very clearly in Scripture, in a lot of the ways, when Jesus came, he brought forth the fulfillment of many of the things that took place or that were said in the Old Testament. He didn't abolish the Ten Commandments. Instead, he brought forth the fulfillment and understanding that it's not just about a rigid following of the rules, but it's about a transformation and a directing heart towards God. Jesus' desire was to bring us into relationship. Not to sever anything, not to, not to say, okay, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore, or the old scriptures don't matter. Instead, it was to bring forth this new day together, gathering together. See, the good teacher, or the good teachings of Jesus are accepted by the questioner. And the truth is reiterated. He accepts Jesus because of this close connection with the Old Testament, but he recognizes that there needs to be an application, an implication of how to live. He states that the love for God is, and for others is more important than the offering and the sacrifices because those are mere action in a lot of ways. You know, God wants something much deeper than mere tradition or routine action. He wants the heart. He wants our devotion. He wants our soul and our strength. This thing called love or agape love is far beyond simply just something we might see in the movies or something that we hear about when we hear the word love during Valentine's Day or during uh, a, a, even a, a wedding ceremony. But this love is, is a greater uh, selfless connection. And what Jesus is, is bringing forth and endearing is that, look, I understand the law, I know the law, but ultimately the heart of all that we should do first and foremost should be to love God and love others, and then everything we do from that is a response to the love we have for God and the love we have for others. So here's a question that's on your your note guide. Does the current purpose of your life reflect God's intended purpose for humanity? More directly, are you loving God and loving people? 
And sometimes we might put together a scorecard and it's like, okay, I know some things in Scripture. And so I'm doing this. You know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm making sure that I, I give 10%. Or maybe on the other end, you're saying, okay, well, I, I'm, I'm not neglecting meeting with the church. I, I'm here. I'm joining online. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm reading or I'm, I'm praying. I, I've been fasting. You know, you, you kind of maybe go through a scorecard. Well, ultimately, those things are all an outcome. But the first question is most important. Are you loving God and loving others? If you were to do a personal inventory of the week, would you go back and say, hey, look, here are the specific things I did on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And in all of those things, whatever it might be, what, what was my purpose? What was my desire? What was my goal? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have hobbies or we shouldn't have, the, the, the heart of it is, what is the, the purpose of why we do those things? To close, I'm going to close in prayer in just a moment. To close, though, I want to take a moment, or just a couple of moments, to allow each one of us, myself included, to, to do a personal inventory of our week. And I would challenge you this week, to, or maybe even this afternoon, to take some time to, to do this, maybe in a little bit more comprehensive fashion. But think through your week. What did you do this week? What did you say this week? What were your motives this week in what you did and said? Was your goal to glorify God, to reveal love, to engage in Him? Was your goal to support others? Or was it something else? And so maybe with your eyes closed, or you can keep them open however you'd like to for the next couple of minutes, just think through Monday, Monday morning, Monday afternoon. Maybe that's difficult. Maybe it's just yesterday. How did yesterday go? Or Friday and Saturday. Whatever you can remember back to with any kind of detail. What did you do? What did you say? How'd you invest your time, talent, and treasure? And then ultimately, why'd you do it? So take a moment now. Take a couple of moments and reflect on your week. you pray with me? Father, we come to you now. We thank you for the fact that you want to have a, a personal and intimate relationship with your creation. God, while we don't fully understand you, while we fully, don't fully understand your ways, we know that you are a good God. We know that you are a personal God. We know that you are a loving God. We know that you provide. 
Father, we know that your son Jesus came, lived a perfect life, was sacrificed as the ultimate sacrifice, the, 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 the only pure sacrifice as, as God in human form, and then rose from the dead to bring forth the opportunity for us to be able to experience real life. And then as your son Jesus ascended, Father, we were blessed with the coming of the Holy Spirit. The one who God in all things lives within the believer. What, what an amazing thing that is. And to understand what it means to, to truly love God and to love people, we can't do so on our own, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit, Father, we can experience something afresh and anew. And so, Father, we come to you now thanking you for the opportunity we have to be able to have some summarized points or a summarized point of what your call is for us through the teaching of your Son. And while it is simple in nature, God, it is difficult in many cases in real life to do. And so I pray, Father, for courage, for your courage. Pray, Father, for your blessing. Pray, Father, for your truth and your strength. I pray, God, that each one of us, as we go from this place, we would do so, being mindful of the way that you call us to step forward, the way that you call us to live a life different from what we were before, because you've made us new. You've, you've transformed us into something new, new, new creatures in you, new creation in you. God, may we support one another. May our relationship with you, God, be one that, that you pour us, you pour into us so uh, richly and so uh, freshly and, and, and with such vast love and vigor that, God, that we would be an outpouring into the relationships of the people around us, that more would come to know you and would love you as a result of the way that we have a deeper relationship with you. God, I pray for a continued engagement with you. I pray that we would have a continued mind and heart to be able to, to follow after you, to follow your word, to, to, to come to you for our strength. May we give you our time, our talent, and our treasure, Father. As you allow us to steward, may it be one where we you see it and use it as a means to be able to, to build your kingdom, not our own. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you for how you continue to work and how you continue to move. Pray that you would bless as we go from this place, as we continue to worship, not just in this building, but in our lives as we go. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. God's purpose for humanity is to love him and to love others. Go and do. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.